Welcome to Sound Prince Audio Magazine, a production of the Kentucky Council of the Blind. Sound Prince is underwritten by the American Printing House for the Blind and the Louisville Downtown Lions Club. I'm Carla Rushville. I'm your host for this week's magazine. Welcome to Sound Prince for the week of December 13, 2020. Share KSB memories with the Alumni Association. Remember how much fun Christmases were at the Kentucky School for the Blind? The music, the parties, fun, food, Santa, and of course the presents. Share your KSB Christmas memories on our alumni holiday Zoom call on Sunday, December 20, 4 to 6 p.m. Eastern Time. Call from your cell phone, computer, or even your landline. The call will also be live streamed on the Radio Storm. KSB graduates Michael and Angie McCarty's internet radio station. To listen to the call on your Echo device, just tell your A-Lady to play the radio storm from TuneIn. To join the conversation and share your Christmas memories on Zoom, dial 669-900-6833 and enter the code 862-9889-6972. If you're asked for a passcode, enter 975864. You say COVID-19 is making a cutback on your New Year's Eve plans? It's just not going to be as much fun as in the past? Well, ACB is here to help. Plans are underway for up to four New Year's Eve events with ACB. Celebrate with friends all over the country on community calls and ACB radio. Details coming soon. On a more serious note, Applications are now being accepted for ACB's 2021 scholarships to be presented in July at the 60th ACB Virtual Conference and Convention. Entering freshmen, undergraduate and graduate students, and vocational school students are invited to apply. Applications can be submitted online until 11.59 p.m. Central Standard Time on Monday, February 15, 2021. To create an account and access the application, visit https colon slash slash members.acb.org. The Council of Citizens with Low Vision, CCLVI, awards three Fred Scheigert scholarships each year to academically eligible college students with low vision. The application period opens January 1 and closes March 15. For current application guidelines, visit https colon slash slash cclvi.org slash shigert, s-c-h-e-i-g-e-r-t dash scholarships, s-c-h-o-l-a-r-s-h-i-p dot o-r-g. I'm recording this story at 12.30 p.m. on Sunday, December 13. Just 20 minutes ago, the following item was posted by our CBS affiliate WLKY. The vaccine is here. COVID-19 vaccine arrives at Louisville's UPS World Port. Pfizer and BioNTech's COVID-19 vaccine arrived at Louisville's UPS World Port on Sunday. The vaccines came from storage sites in Michigan and Wisconsin and will make their way from Louisville to over 145 distribution centers by Monday, with an additional 425 sites getting the shipments Tuesday and the remaining 66 on Wednesday. The vaccine is being doled out based on each state's adult population. The doses need to be stored at minus 70 degrees Celsius until they are administered and cannot be refrozen. To keep the vaccine at the right temperature, President and UPS Healthcare West 
Wheeler says dry ice will be used in the shipping and delivery process. UPS also uses a thermal sensor and GPS to monitor the contents. Now that the vaccines are in Louisville, they will be sent out by next day air to designated vaccination sites, including hospitals and long-term health care facilities. UofL Hospital, Norton Healthcare, Baptist Health Hospital, and Clark Memorial Hospital will also receive the vaccines. UPS says local deliveries will happen on Monday morning. Area hospitals could start administering the vaccine as early as Tuesday. On page two and three this week, we're bringing you more programming from the 2020 KCB Virtual Conference and Convention. Listen on page two as Jeff Bishop, member of the ACB Board of Directors and Program Manager on the Windows Accessibility Team at Microsoft, discusses improvements and updates in Narrator, Microsoft's speech program for Windows. Tours are great features for ACB and state virtual conventions. They let us visit sites across the country that most of us would never be able to enjoy in person. ACB has held five national conventions here in Louisville, yet, even though Mammoth Cave is just about an hour and a half south of us, we've never been able to schedule a tour there. Come along with us on page three as we tour the cave, and be sure to listen to the end to hear my old Kentucky home performed from inside the cave. We hope you've enjoyed this week's sound prints. Come back next week for more news and holiday fun. Page two. I know we have a few minutes. Do we have our next speaker on? Yeah, Jeff is here. Oh, yeah. He's been here all weekend. And here all right. All. Yeah, he's been great. Thanks for helping us out. Carlo, would you like to introduce him? I would. I'd be very pleased to introduce him. Let's see. I've been trying to think up some terrible stories I could tell about him, but I couldn't do that. Our next speaker is Jeff Bishop. And he is a member of the ACB Board of Directors. I was on the board for a, a short while with Jeff, and he's just he's a great member of that board. But he is also uh, a very, very active person with ACB Radio and is the chair of that um, ACB Radio Steering Committee. More importantly for us at this time, Jeff is a program manager with Microsoft. He's playing a major role in, in contributing to accessibility of Microsoft products that all of us use, or most of us use. If we have PCs, we are using Microsoft products in one way or another. And so Jeff is going to talk to us about updates on Microsoft accessibility. And Jeff, I just want to tell you how much we appreciate you streaming for us all weekend. It's really been great, and thank you. Ah, oh, you're most welcome. Good afternoon, everyone, and thank you very much for having me. Yep, my name is Jeff Bishop, and I'm a program manager on the Windows Accessibility. We are actually now known as the Empower team, and uh, we've just gone through a, a pretty major reorg at Microsoft, and so we are now known as the Empower team, and our team that handles uh, Narrator, is is called the enable team of, of part part of an of empower so today i want to talk to you a little bit about the changes that we've made in this year's versions of windows the uh may 2020 update 
there have been a number of significant changes to Narrator, the screen reader that's built into Windows, and we're going to talk a lot about that. But before I do that, I wanted to mention the, the team a little bit. We have a great team at Microsoft uh, full of uh, program managers and senior leaders and developers who are just amazingly dedicated to the accessibility space. We have a a team who thrives on customer engagement and customer feedback. It's one of the core principles of our work. Um, we are constantly wanting to hear from all of our customers and constantly hearing from the community about how well we're doing, what can we, what can be improved, what things you like. Um, constructive feedback is always welcome, and we'll provide. Uh, I'll provide ways uh, that you can reach out to the team and. Uh, be able to, to do that. And I'll leave some time here for questions. I think I've got a half an hour. So I'll probably talk for 15, 20 minutes and then we'll open it up for, for questions. Before we get into the features again, I wanted to mention that a, a little bit about the internals of how the team operates and so to kind of give you a sneak peek into how things are, are done in reference to your feedback. Every day at Microsoft, we, we go through this process called triage where we take all of the feedback that we get from you customers, both uh, within the company and of course externally, and we look at every single piece of feedback that comes into the company uh, related to our product, related to our screen reader or other uh, accessibility tools that are built into Windows. And we read that feedback and we and we uh, make sure that we consider it and, and it gets ranked and, and put into our backlog uh, where we where we then will um, move to 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 work on the things that that you bring to our attention. So I I just br just mentioned that just to say that we're always looking every day at all of the feedback that uh, you provide. So all right, let's get into the Windows May 2020 update. I want to talk a little bit about uh, a, a really great feature for low vision users. Now this is not something I worked on, but I want to uh, mention it here. And it has been a major hit with customers. It's it's a it's a feature of magnifier, and it's called magnifier reading. And this allows you to to highlight text or have parts of the screen read to you, just like, of course, you would get with a with a screen reader. And uh, people are really loving that. This is meant for people with low vision who need just a little bit of help. If they don't want to, to read, say, a long article, they can have the article read to them. There are controls in the UI to allow them to, to quickly move through um, that text and play it. So it's, it's, it's really, really great. We need to get uh, Jeremy Curry to maybe come and, and talk, to, talk to the group at some point. So maybe we can um, connect you guys up and have him come talk about some low vision features. There's a lot more there. Um, I'm definitely not the expert in that, so I'm not going to spend too much time on that here today. All right, let's talk about the narrator features in the Windows May 2020 update. First of all, the, one of the f core things that we do every release is we look at how can we improve the, the platform. In other words, the, the technology that makes narrator work. Uh, how can we improve that to make it more robust and efficient and more performant? In other words, faster. And we always do that in, in every release, and we continue to do that today. We have made some substantial improvement 
in the way that narrator reads so that things are more natural as you read. And people are really liking that. You'll notice in the May 2020 update some new sounds. We modernized the sounds that are used throughout Narrator, and we've added a number of new ones. So, for example, if you turn scan mode on and off, this is like uh, the equivalent of the virtual cursor or, or turning browse mode on and off, say an NVDA, you know, something like that, then you actually hear a sound now. And you there are controls in there where you can only hear sounds or hear sounds and speech as well. In addition to that, you can hear a link sound and all of the narrator sounds have been updated to be more modern and smoother and have a, a, a much better appeal as you're using your device. And you're gonna notice this uh, right away. For We've got a, a really big request from authors or people who do lots of editing of text that they wanted a better way of knowing what words were capitalized or maybe those, those words that were all in uppercase, like a, an acronym and things of that nature. So we've done that work. And there are controls within narrator settings, and I'll talk about what, how to get to those in just, at the end here. Uh, we, we've done that work. We wanted to improve the amount of information that's spoken about text and controls. So we've added significant number of settings here to allow you to vary that information while either navigating within an application or reading, say, within Microsoft Word. And there are multiple levels of verbosity that are available here. We have done a lot of work on the web and, and uh, you know, we, we added Chrome support a while back. Now we fully support Firefox as well. So that's pretty exciting as well uh, as, you know, uh, IE and, and, uh, and Edge. We support that as well. We, we have a, a lot more smart browsing features built into Narrator now. So, for example, do you know those dreaded click here links, those links that just say click here, you have no idea where you're going. Well, you can press narrator, the narrator key, which is by default caps lock or insert control plus D. This is also our image description feature. And it will tell you the title of the window or the title of the page that you would go to if you were to click that link. It's really trying to give you more information about where you're going. When you open up a web page, we'll start reading the page to you automatically from the top of the page. Again, another often uh, requested feature. You can get a summary of the web page. You can press narrator S as in summary. And if you press that one time, you'll hear about the number of links, headings, and landmarks on that given page. If you press it twice, then you're, you're going to get a, a, uh, a list of popular links. So what we do here is we actually send the URL of the page that you're on to Bing. And Bing knows a lot about the, the internet and it knows a lot about the page that you're on. And it knows what links people visit often on this page. So let me give you an example of where it's really useful. If you go to amazon.com, for example, and you press narrator S twice, then you're gonna get a list of the most popular links that people use on that web page, like the login link 
and a number of other links. So it's it's really a way of being more efficient to be able to get to the things that most people do uh, most of the time on that specific page. Now, I want to talk about Outlook Mail. This is an area that uh, I personally worked on, and I'm pretty excited about the work that we've that we've done here. First of all, remember those dreaded, in fact, we probably all see them still today with really all screen readers, uh, narrator included, because our, our algorithm, while pretty good, isn't going to actually capture absolutely everything. And I'm going to talk about that in a minute. But you know those dreaded layout tables? These are most commonly seen in newsletters and things like that, marketing communications that you'll see. So they use these layout tables to be able to to make the the format of their newsletter look visually appealing, but to a screen reader user they're 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 audibly annoying because you're going to hear you know this this uh, you know you have a table with with three rows and four columns and and the, and it's it's not data it's just it's just laid out visually. So what we've done is we have come up with a, a way of detecting these uh, visual layout tables and we eliminate the table altogether so that all you get is text. It really provides for a really great user experience uh, and allowing you to read more efficiently and to be able to get at your text of your email uh, more efficiently. We have improved the announcement of uh, triaging your inbox. So if you are in the inbox or in any folder really, and as you up and down arrow through the inbox, now we speak the columns in the order that you expect and we and we only say the information that you expect to hear. So for example, if the message un, is uh, unread, you'll hear about that. If the message has attachments, you'll hear about that. If it has high importance, you'll hear about that. You won't hear if it's already been read, you know, things like that. We, we are very smart about making sure that you're only going to hear about the information that you want. The other thing we did was we, we default now to not speaking the column headers of the, uh, you know, the names of the column headers like from and subject and receipt date and all of these things. You can, turn, you can toggle them back on if you need them, but by default, we no longer do that to make, again, the reading experience um, more, more fluid for you and more efficient. That's something we, we really wanted to work on. And finally, in Outlook, we, like we do on the web, we now automatically turn scan mode on when you open up an Outlook message, and we automatically start reading the message from the top of the message when the message is opened. And if you escape out of the message, then we turn scan mode off automatically for you. Uh, again, a number a one requested feature that, that customers wanted to, uh, to have. So these are just a few of the things that are new in the uh, May 2020 update. And in addition, there's been an October uh, update as well. There's a Windows 10 October update. And in this update, we have uh, Microsoft has, has released the new Edge browser. And we've also uh, added some new experiences for the Alt-Tab user experience and, and things like that. So... Let's talk about how do you get the the new May 2020 update or the October update. If you uh, go to Windows Update and you do a check for update, then it 
uh, may or may not be offered to you. If it is not offered to you, then I would suggest that you wait. It's really important that you wait. There's probably a reason as to why it is not being offered to you at this time. Probably some kind of a driver issue or, or you know, uh, your, your OEM provider may not have, have drivers out for that release yet. Uh, there is something that is that is not allowing that update to to be pushed to your device. Most of you though are probably going to get it if you do a check for updates and then you'll you'll let it download it and then uh, you'll reboot and it, uh, within 10 15 minutes you'll have it installed and you'll you'll be up and running. So uh, that goes for both the May 2020 update as well as the October uh, update. Now how do you get a hold of us to be able to, uh, to be able to provide feedback. Well, there's a number of ways to do that. You can contact the Disability Answer Desk. This is really a great tool that you should take advantage of. They're, they're really, really great. They provide lots of great resources and, and um, ways of helping you. They can remote into your machine and give you assistance. You can call them at 1-800-936-5900. 1-800-936-5900. You can, you can, um, Let's see, you can provide feedback through our feedback hub. That's by using, well, if narrator is on, you can press the narrator key, which again is caps lock or insert, plus alt plus F as in feedback. That will bring up the feedback hub. And if you're having a problem, say in Outlook or Word or Excel or something of that nature, if you're in the application at the time that you're having that problem, that's really, really great because it will then take uh, some information about the current problem that you're having without sharing any of your personal data um, with us at all because again privacy is really important and uh, you can you can just follow a simple wizard it will ask you to to provide the the description of the problem the steps to to replicate the problem if it, if you can and then you can send that off to us and and uh, if it comes to our team then myself uh, and a couple of other people will definitely take a look at it and see what we can do to help you out don't forget about the Microsoft Accessibility webpage at microsoft.com forward slash accessibility. And there's also the Office Accessibility Hub found at aka.ms slash office accessibility. And if you want to read the narrator user guide, then you can do that. And you can actually download a copy of that in multiple formats, including Braille, PDF, Word, uh, lots of different formats. So you could even download a BRF file and and print that on your Braille printer if you wanted to do that, or read it with your uh, with your you know Braille display. All right, I wanted to definitely leave time for questions because I know that people tend to have lots of questions, and I'm happy to entertain that. So let's uh, open it up for questions. Melanie. Hi, Jeff. This is Melanie Pesco. Thank you so much for your presentation. It was really great. My question, and it may not be something that you can answer readily. I may need to work with somebody offline. I'm a ZoomText user, although I do use Windows Magnifier on occasion, as well as uh, Narrator. And since um, the May update, and I was hoping it would be resolved <laughs> in October, but it was not. Either the Windows Magnifier and ZoomText, uh, or both, I mean, 
uh, neither one of them will play nicely with meeting invitations in the Outlook desktop app. Are you all aware of that already? And is it being worked on? I am not aware of this problem. And this is a great one where I would actually encourage you to take both channels of uh, direction from me on this. One, filing the okay. feedback hub item for this. Try to be as descriptive as possible about this in the feedback. And... Um, you know exactly how you're how you're doing that and what, what what you're experiencing, and don't be afraid to call the disability answer desk on it either because they can actually get right to the product team. That's really the advantage of sure. getting hold of the, of them. They have direct access to all of the product groups. So, for example, if they need to talk to us or if they need to talk to Outlook or whoever you know whatever uh, product you might be calling on, then they can do that. They have ways of getting to them, and also. Um, Doing it, submitting it through Feedback Hub and also through the Disability Answer Desk provides multiple levels of tracking, and that's really important as yeah. well. So that so that these issues can can be looked at and assessed and figured out. So no, I, 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 I'm not a uh, I'm not a magnifier or Zoom text user myself, but we definitely sure. have people on the team that are. So I'm personally not aware of this problem, but that doesn't mean we aren't aware of it either. I, I just I don't do know. think that APH has. Um, been in communication on some level with Microsoft Accessibility because all of us that use magnification are having that issue. So I will continue on pressing forward as well. Thank okay, you. Good, you bet, absolutely. And again, um, don't hesitate to use the Feedback Hub. It's, it's there for this exact purpose. And um, I, I can guarantee you it, that if you yeah. classify it as a magnifier issue, it's gonna come to our team and we'll we'll either determine that it's us or we'll make sure that it gets to the right resources on the Outlook team. Terry? Thank you. Um, Jeff, yep. I have two questions. Uh, one is I do not use Windows Mail myself, okay. but I, I hear of a lot of folks having trouble with it. And I was wondering how Narrator plays does it play well with Windows Mail? And a second question, and I'm not asking this to be um, difficult, Fine. but if it, what will I get from a screen reader like JAWS that I won't get from Narrator? In other words, is Narrator ready to be prime time for typical um, email, word processing, uh like zooming that kind of use thanks great great questions and thank you so much uh, as far as windows mail yes narrator works uh perfectly great with windows mail if windows mail would meet the needs of of you or the or people who you work with then that's perfectly fine narrator would work great i can tell you that narrator works really well with outlook and word and you know uh lots of things within windows itself um I, I can't tell you specifically whether it, it's going to be ready for, for you. This is really uh, something that, that each person needs to evaluate, and it's going to depend on what you, and when I mean you, not, I mean you as a global you, not just you, Terry. Um, uh, it, it's all about, you know, does it meet your needs for what you try to do? JAWS has lots of features that, um, allow you to do a lot more than just screen reading, right? There's a lot of efficiency tools built into it. There's a lot of things that, 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 um, that narrator doesn't have today because, uh, uh you know, just because it, it's, you know, 
narrator is is really just a screen reader, right? Um, so, so for example, it, it doesn't have some of the you know research it features and other features like that, um, and we don't have OCR capability things like that today, except for our image description feature. So, so um, I'm not going to tell you, uh, you know, um, that it's going to meet everyone's needs. This is something that that um, that we would love to hear feedback as to where it's not meeting your needs. I think that's really the critical factor here. In other words, if you're running into an issue. So for example, to be really clear, we know, for example, that we have some work that we need to do on Excel. That, that, that's something that we know is, is, is an area that we need to, that we need to focus on and it's in our backlog. So that's, that's just one example. But, but, it, but you know, the, I know of a lot of people who are using narrator every day and you know all day long and it's per- it's working working perfectly fine for what they're doing. So again, this is really an individual decision and an individual thing that you know what what you're doing on your device. If you're a a beginning to you know uh maybe a little beyond that type of user, narrator is going to meet your needs if you're simply just browsing the web, checking your email, doing some no, really wait, basic right, right. word processing things like that. It's going to be just just fine for you. Joey and Natalie? The Mac, most of the time. But I'm thinking about going back to Windows because it's more efficient for some things. Is Narrator, can you set it up out of the box? Like if I got a new computer, can I use Narrator to go through that setup process like you can VoiceOver? You absolutely can. In fact, <laughs> um, you, you can do it uh, even you know from a brand new installation of Windows. You can... You can boot from a USB key, for example, and start Narrator and go through the entire process of formatting the hard drive, creating partitions, uh, you know, putting Windows on it, configuring Windows right from the first user experience and all of that. So absolutely you can. Yep, absolutely. And that's with Control Windows Enter, by the way. And you get into Narrator settings by pressing Control Windows N for Narrator. Let's go back to Terry. Hey, Terry. Um, can can narrator work in safe mode? Um, okay, so there's a caveat to this, and we actually have there's a YouTube video up that the um, Disability Answer Desk team actually put out that talks very specifically about this issue. And depending upon the hardware of your machine, and whether you're using a USB headset, sometimes it's it, it's kind of based on the drivers that are built for your specific sound card. But yes, it is possible to get a narrator to work in safe mode. Absolutely. Yes. And Deanna is unmuted now. So go ahead, Deanna. My question is, how do you know what your last Windows update is? Because it seems that my computer is always updating, but I don't know what the last Windows update is. Okay. Well, the easiest way to do this is to is to go to the run uh, prompt. So you can press Windows plus R to get to that. And you can type Winver, that's W-I-N for Windows, and then V-E-R, all one word. So W-I-N-V-E-R, so Whiskey India November Victor Echo Romeo, and press Enter. And then that will give you the, the version number of Windows. And if it says 2004 or 20H2 as part of the version number, then you're on... Uh, the 2020 updates. Okay, thank you. You're welcome. 
So I actually have a question, Jeff. How it, have they ever thought about separating Windows uh, Narrator or the any of the accessibility functions from the rest of the Windows Update? Because I actually have a PC related to uh, my activity as a state commissioner and and it's an ancient pc and it'll never get the current update i'm sure and so i'm stuck on ancient narrator as a result too and i wondered if they've ever thought about separating those well you might be surprised um uh what is is it running windows 7 today oh no it's running windows 10 okay yeah then then, then it will get it if you're running windows 10 it will get the uh it will get the latest update well, it's but never had update yet talk to me outside of here there's a way of 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 getting it there yeah i don't know if i uh, want to get the whole update i just wanted to get the better i understand now. i'm going to talk about that in a second okay. that is something that we've heard uh quite a you know quite a bit from customers and it's something that that um you know is in our backlog and just like all of all of our suggestions and feedback it, it's being evaluated for for future consideration Jeff, this is Debbie Detheridge, and has yeah. Narrator gotten better as far as the voice or the speech, and can you speed it up and that kind of thing, um, working with Windows 10? You know, I was just talking with our team last week about, um, you know, every time we meet with customers, whether you know, on a, on a situation like this, and I said that the number one, and I, I was crossing my fingers because, you know, this had... It had to come up to be able to keep this consistent. The number one feedback item that we get from, from customers every time we come to CSUN or, you know, at ACB or other conventions is, you know, have you done anything further with voices or what about eloquence and things of that nature? We have the one core voices. Those are, those are built into to Windows. And right now that, that is the, the current extent of what we have done today with, with speech. Now, there are some high quality voices that you can use that are not part of Narrator, uh, that you can use like inside of Edge as part of the immersive reader. And um, this is especially great for low vision users who um, want to be able to have uh, a page read to them. And, and actually they'll even work for a screen reader user too. And they actually will use a, a speech voice from the cloud and it will speak to you and it's a, it's a high quality voice. So um, it's part of the immersive reader uh, experience as part of Edge. And if everyone uh, has not gotten the new Chromium-based Edge um, from Microsoft, I would just highly recommend it. It's fantastic. I don't see any hands. Well, Jeff, that's that was a lot of information and, and really appreciate it. That was a good presentation. I learned quite a bit myself. I don't use Narrator a whole lot, but you know, some of those things are going to, I think, encourage me to learn more about it. There you go. Yeah, definitely. All right. Well, uh, I'll continue uh, streaming, and uh, you guys have a good yeah. convention. Page three. Hello, I'm Ranger Chris. Welcome to Mammoth Cave National Park, home of the world's longest known cave system. With 412 mapped and explored miles of cave passage and numerous more passages awaiting exploration, no other single cave system comes close. On the surface, Mammoth Cave National Park encompasses almost 53,000 acres of lush forest, rocky outcrops, rivers, streams, and over 80 miles of hiking trails available for visitor use. The route we'll be taking today will cover almost a mile of the historic section of Mammoth Cave, where we'll travel through the passages that gave the cave its name, Mammoth. It's a balmy 89 degrees outside. 
and the humidity hangs heavy in the air. Fall is almost here and the leaves are slowly beginning to fade from the green of summer to the amber hues of fall. We begin our tour of Mammoth Cave with Ranger Chris, walking down an eighth of a mile paved path that was once the county road. As we descend the hill toward the cave entrance, you will notice rough, grainy, brown sandstone peeking out of the banks on each side of the trail. Nearing the cave entrance, we can see the stone transition to a smoother gray limestone, a rock that makes up the vast majority of the cave's interior. The Green River, which flows at the base of this hill, has spent its existence cutting its way downward through these rock layers and creating the hills and valleys around us. Locals once used this path to access the ferry that would shuttle them to what is now the north side of the park. Leaves crunch beneath your feet as the aroma of blossoms and fall fill the air. Along the trail, late summer flowers are still in bloom, scattering bits of azure, gold, and ivory along the lush green moss-covered rocks exposed in the hillside. At the end of the road, there is an old timber fence to the right of the trail. Four steps lead you up to a landing. A cool breeze tickles across your feet. Searching the landscape gives no obvious source as to where it's coming from, but as you walk further and step down four more steps, you move even closer to the brisk air. On each side of the landing, there is a stone wall with a dark green moss and white algae growing on the undisturbed surfaces. The moss feels like thick, soft carpet beneath your touch. The top of the stone is barren of life where visitors and rangers have touched and walked along the surface. At the edge of the landing, the rock wall twists downward to the right, leading to 68 concrete steps, descending into the darkness. Gray limestone layers have peeled away, forming a gaping hole into the depths of the subterranean world. This is the source of the frigid air. You stop here as Ranger Chris begins to address the tour group. We are now standing at the entrance of Mammoth Cave. This land was designated a national park in 1941, over 30 years before we knew of its amazing length. This designation came about largely because of the unique history of Mammoth Cave, a history as diverse, layered, and complex as its passages. Around 5,000 years ago, late archaic and early woodland Indians made their way into and through at least 14 miles of the cave. Their exploration, which would span for more than 2,000 years, was a testament to their bravery, curiosity, and persistence, and was lit only by the dull glow of a torch made from river cane, the same type that grows along the banks of the river today. We believe they stopped utilizing the cave around 2,000 years ago, and have no evidence that anyone else would enter until settlers moved into the area. Local legend says that around 1798, a young boy, John Houchins, was roaming these very hillsides in search of game to take home to his family. Armed with his father's long rifle, John spotted a beast that today is no longer found within the National Park. With a shaky hand, John raised his rifle and took aim at a large black bear. Staring down the barrel, he squeezed the trigger. Boom! As the puff of smoke dissipated, the bear was gone. John caught sight of the animal once again. Wounded but alive, the bear ran down the hill and into a huge opening in the ground with John in pursuit. 
Stories like that of John Houchins have served to spark the curiosity and imagination of millions of people for the last 200 years. As we travel through the cave today, I hope to share with you more of the stories that paved the way for Mammoth Cave to become your 26th National Park. You follow Ranger Chris down into the cave. Cascading from the top of the entrance is a waterfall that has emerged from between the limestone layers. On days when there is very little rain, the waterfall is diminished to a trickle, but when there is ample precipitation, the waterfall roars down and crashing onto the rocks below. The mist from the waterfall hits you as you pass beside it, and the sound is echoing off the limestone walls at the entrance. A multitude of cool-weather plants still thrive here during the peak of the summer heat and surround the large cave entrance. The cave air protects the delicate frills of many verdant ferns, ruby-colored columbines, and ivory blooms of native hydrangea plants. You continue down the man-made path as the light from the sun begins to dim and the wind from the cave begins to rush towards you. It causes you to cling to the jacket that made no sense for you to bring in the late summer swelter. In the chill of the 54 degrees, though, it has become a lifeline to retain the heat next to you. The cave smells of damp earth mixed with the smell of fire that clings to the clothing of camping visitors. Two stainless steel doors, seven feet tall, guard the entrance. On each side of the doors, rusty, four-inch-wide metal bars run horizontal to the stone walls of the cave, allowing the air and the wildlife to travel freely. Ranger Chris pulls a key from his pocket and unlocks the door. Once you step through, the wind begins to settle and the golden light of the LED bulbs illuminates the chamber. Entering the first passage of the cave known as the Houchins Narrows, there is a low ceiling, around five feet high. You duck slightly as the paved trail slopes downward, allowing your head to clear the ceiling safely. In this twilight zone, the sunlight can no longer penetrate the darkness of the cave. There are no animals or plants from the surface that can survive beyond this point. The only creatures that call this place home have uniquely adapted to the absolute darkness of the environment. Over 200 species live in these depths, such as the eyeless cavefish, the eyeless crayfish, pack rats, cave crickets, pseudoscorpions, various arachnids, cave beetles, and about 12 breeds of bats, to name a few. You continue walking down the Houchins Narrows for several minutes until you reach a huge circular-shaped room. The expansive quarter-of-an-acre-sized room extends out in front of you and has two large passages branching off to your left and to your right. The dome ceiling is 34 feet from the floor. This cave is considered a dry cave due to the caprock of sandstone and shell above the layers of limestone. The added layers prevent water from getting in and allows the cave passages to stay connected. Without this feature, Mammoth Cave would be a grouping of many smaller caves filled with formations like stalactites and stalagmites. No formations decorate the walls and ceilings in this section of the system. Anything that is left behind in this environment becomes preserved due to the constant climate, much like a time capsule. In the center of the room, in an area 10 feet below your walking path, there are three square boxes, 11 feet wide and 5 feet tall. They have wooden plank sides and are filled with light brown dirt. 
At the bottom of the boxes, you can see tree logs that have been hollowed out and halved. They have been placed in a pattern alternating, facing up and down to form an interlocking structure. Welcome to the rotunda. We are now approximately 140 feet below the surface. This massive room with a circular ceiling is the result of the ancient rivers that once flowed through these passages, carving away the limestone rock. As unstable rock gave away and settled to the floor, we were left with a natural breakout dome. In addition to leaving behind large passageways, the rivers left a thick layer of sediment on the cave floor. Early settlers who entered these dry caves discovered that the sediment deposits were rich in calcium nitrate, a mineral that sparks when exposed to flame. The settlers figured out how to leach the nitrates from the soil by gathering dirt in these boxes. They engineered a piping system from hollowed out tulip poplar trees, sharpening one end and forcing it into the blunted end of the next log. Pipes carried water from the mouth of the cave to these dirt-filled boxes. Water poured over the layers of dirt, pulling with it the nitrates from the soil. The water would travel through the filter made by the interlocking logs at the bottom, separating debris from the nitrate-rich water. The mixture was then piped to the surface and placed in large cauldrons where workers would add some ingredients and then boil it down until all that was left was a crystal known as saltpeter. This crystal is the number one ingredient in gunpowder. America was still young at the time of this operation and the saltpeter created here became very important during the War of 1812. It's said that Mammoth Cave produced over 300,000 pounds of saltpeter for the war effort. The war came to an end in 1815 and America had maintained its freedom. However, the majority of the workers in the saltpeter production were enslaved men and would not reap the benefit of the freedom for themselves. With the fall of a lucrative industry, a new chapter of Mammoth Cave would begin. The first guided cave tour is believed to have taken place in 1816. Tourism would become the new business model. As we make our way to our next stop, consider what it may have been like to traverse these passages as an early visitor touring this massive, mostly uncharted labyrinth. As you continue down the three-quarter of a mile stretch of limestone chambers, the sound of your footsteps echo through the void. On the left of the paved stone trail, there is a well-worn dirt trail about six feet wide. It was the path used by the oxen-pulled wagons of the mining days. Lined up against the wall are segments of wooden pipe system showcasing the ingenuity of early settlers. On the right of the room, limestone rubble is mounded up across an expanse, 20 feet wide from the trail to the wall. In some areas, the rocks almost reach the ceiling of the cavern. The ceiling is an exposed flattened slab of limestone that creates a uniform expanse as you continue down the path. The floor rises and falls as you continue through the room known as the church. At the widest point, this oval-shaped room is approximately 50 feet across, with ceilings 35 feet tall. Beginning around 1830, on special occasions, services were held in this location. On the left, a large slab juts out from the wall about 15 feet from the path. This point became known as Pulpit Rock. Next to Pulpit Rock, gray boulders of limestone stretch all the way up to the roof. Black soot coats some of the rocks from when guides threw torches to light up various features. This tradition ended in the 1990s. To the right, running parallel to the path, there are two wooden pipes on a triangular wooden scaffold 
to demonstrate how they would have been set up during the days of saltpeter mining. The bottom pipe is suspended about three feet from the ground. The second is three feet directly above it. As we leave the church, the floor begins to pitch upward to Booth's amphitheater to the right. Booth's is a stony outcrop at the edge of Gothic Avenue. It is an upper corridor overlapping the level you are on. To access it, there are about 20 stairs that lead upward. Next to the trail on the right, there are three more saltpeter vats. To the left, there is the continuation of the upper passageway, but there is no easy access. Piles of dirt are mounded up high on this side. The limestone walls are smooth from thousands of years of erosion. Each layer of stone is a different thickness and laid down like the layers of a cake. The spaces between, known as bedding planes, allow for air and moisture to travel from the outside world. These, plus 27 known entrances and countless natural ventilation shafts, allow the air to be exchanged regularly. Taking a deep breath fills your lungs with fresh, cool air. Boulders of various sizes and fine grains of light brown dirt line each side of the path. Time passes as the stony scenery begins to blend together, but then there is a sound that snaps you back to the present. Behind the stone walls to the left, you can hear water dripping. If you listen closely, you can hear an unfamiliar sound to the dryness of this section of cave. On the surface, water has found a weak spot in the cap rock, and over time has dripped down, creating a vertical shaft. It was here that early guides would stop with their groups and tell a story of being able to tell what time it was by the steady dripping of the water. The story has been passed down through generations of guides, earning this location the name, The Water Clock. Is it possible to tell the correct time by the dripping? All my sources say it is simply a tale the guides share to draw you in. The drip rate is subject to change based on rainfall. Just ahead of us is our next stop. Two more minutes of walking leads you to the next stop. Visitors gather up against the left stone wall of the chamber. The ranger climbs up on the large boulder standing above the crowd. Behind the ranger, there is a portion of the wall that peeled away, creating a rock 25 feet long, 17 feet tall, and 15 feet wide that resembles a large ship. On the map, it is referred to as the Giant's Coffin. As the stories began to spread about Mammoth Cave, people began to show up from the far reaches of the world. They traveled by ships, stagecoaches, and trains to come here to the middle of nowhere Kentucky to explore this grand, gloomy, and peculiar place. Most of the guides had an elementary education, and some had less than that. They didn't know the science about the rocks or how the cave had developed. They didn't know the stories of the early Native American explorers. Their knowledge paled in comparison to the scholars, gentlemen and ladies, that came to the doorsteps asking for a tour. In the cave, though, these guides had a skill set their visitors lacked. They could weave a tale that could cause you to forget all about the sunlit world above. There were a couple of tours offered in those days. The short trip and the long trip. The short trip could last more than six hours. We're standing here at a famous landmark called the Giant's Coffin. 
Behind me, the guides would create shadows on the wall of this stone coffin. They told stories of the giants that once roamed these lands. Inside this coffin is the smallest giant of them all. He created the chambers we walk through today by arching his back up and against the earth, forcing the land above him to rise. Every day the giant would come to the cave to check on the cave creatures within. He guarded the cave and everything in it. One day the giant fell ill, and when he passed, his body was laid to rest here in the cave. Some say that when the moon and the stars are aligned just right, a cave guide can lift the lid of the coffin. This illusion can be created with complete darkness in a single lantern. On the back wall, the silhouette of the coffin is cast. By moving the lantern up and down, it gives the illusion that the lid is lifting. At the forefront of the Mammoth Cave experience was always the guide. In 1838, a young enslaved man named Stephen Bishop was brought to the cave. He was sold, along with the cave, to a doctor from Louisville, Kentucky. This doctor, John Crine, would change the vision of what Mammoth Cave could be, and Stephen would help make that dream a reality. Improvements were made to the hotel on the surface, and Stephen would expand the known length of Mammoth Cave through his exploration. Aside from being a great cave explorer, he was also quite the entertainer. In the almost 20 years that he led tours through the cave, Stephen would lead prominent members of society through the rugged terrain, intriguing them with his knowledge and storytelling. Individuals like the writer Ralph Waldo Emerson would make the long journey to Kentucky with the purpose of seeing the great underground marvel, and afterwards would write of their experiences and mention their guides by name. The stories of Mammoth Cave do not stop here. For almost 90 more years, visitors, guides, and the cave itself would continue to develop an intricate network of history and science that elevated us to where we are today. There's no way to share or even to fully understand all the stories that this unique place has woven into it. Hopefully in the short time that we have spent together, you realize with just a few of those stories how connected this underground world has been to the historical realities on the surface above it. A connection so profound it was worthy of being dedicated as your 26th National Park. As Ranger Chris steps back onto the paved trail, a loose rock sways under his boot and lands back in place with a resounding clank, mimicking the sound made by humans entering into the cave. To this day, visitors pause to experience the silence that otherwise consumes the cave. Silence that humans have broken with their footsteps, their voices, and even musical instruments. From far and wide, musicians have come to the stone performance hall to partake in the unique acoustics. Echoing through the ages are the sounds of soulful songs of the enslaved people, the violin of an early cartographer, Max Kemper, multiphonic chanting of Buddhist monks, and the modern-day songs inspired by the cave. As we continue our trip back to the warmth of the world above, we close our tour with the sounds of one of those songs. My Old Kentucky Home, performed in the halls of Mammoth Cave by former cave guide Dr. Janet Bass-Smith on piano, accompanied by Klaus Kemper, descendant of Max Kemper, playing cello. Thank you. 
perhaps I always was thinking what Max would have said if he, when he bought the music, that his grandson would play it 100 years later. I think he couldn't imagine. Right. And for me, it's a great honor to play here. If you have questions about the Kentucky Council of the Blind, or you need information on resources for people with vision loss, call us at 502-895-4598 or email us at kcb at kentucky-acb.org. Sound Prince is a production of the Kentucky Council of the Blind and is heard each week on ACB Radio Mainstream at acbradio.org, Central Kentucky Radio I at radioi.org, and the KCB website at www.kentucky-acb.org. Complete schedule information is also available on the website. Sound Prince is underwritten by the Louisville Downtown Lions Club, and by the American Printing House for the Blind. This is Carla Rushable for Sound Prints. Have a great week, everybody.